Lord, your words are brand life-giving. On your words my spirit feeds. Words will be learned as cold and dreary night. Yes, they are my sore prevailing. your words in me take root. Hear me. May I daily sing your praise. From my heart let anthems raise. Till my highest praise is given in the endless joy of The text for the sermon this day is taken from Luke 5, which we heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, all three of the four Gospels have the recording of what is known as the calling of the first disciples. The Gospel of John does not have this um, moment in the boat But Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And all three Gospels have something that's unique to their account. If you go to Mark's account, it actually doesn't mention anything about the catch. It just simply mentions that they were in the boat and Jesus told them to follow him, and they did. And it also has that you will be be fishers of men. Mark also has the detail that they left behind their father to to the nets. Matthew has the catch and he has that they, again, you will be fishers of men. And again, they leave their father behind to tend to this miraculous catch. But Luke has its own little unique thing. Because you see, the Gospels are all written, they're written by different people, and each person has their own little emphasis. They have an element of the story, of the event, that they want to focus on. So for Mark, the focus wasn't, so much, wasn't on the miracle, because he doesn't even mention it. The focus was on the being fishers of men, and to be a fishers of men means that you might have to leave your family behind, much as the missionaries do from, say, Mission Central. The Gospel of Matthew is focusing very much on the miracle itself, the incredible event that Jesus had done. But Luke has a detail towards the end that is different. It says, And they came and filled both their boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That response to Peter is unique to the Gospel of Luke. When he is in the presence, when he realizes who Jesus is, or at least begins to get an idea as to who he is, he gets down on his knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, 
O Lord. Much like Moses, when he greeted greeted the Lord in the burning bush. Much like Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and exalted on his throne. Peter understood that he did not deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. Isaiah Isaiah and Moses were in the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ. Now was Jesus before he was born of Mary. Peter was in the presence of the God-man. And because he knew he was a sinner, he knew he did not belong in his presence. One of the hymns that we have sung for probably many, many years, and you know it probably very well, page number four in the old hymnal, God himself is present. Let us now adore him. We sing. So, Sound familiar, by the way? God himself is present. Let us now. Some of you probably know it by heart. And with awe appear before him. God is in his temple. All within keep silence. Prostrate lie with deepest reverence. Him alone, God, we own. Him, our God and Savior, praise Him, His name forever. I just, just a little note. I just noticing a difference in the wording in this hymnal and the, than the new one. They use the word prostrate instead of bow before Him. And the new hymnal says, "Let us bow before Him." Here it says, "All within keep silence. Prostrate lie." Some of you I've shown pictures of what it means to prostrate. Prostrate is when you lay out flat on your belly, on the ground. This is, this hymn is a confession. We sing it, it's supposed to be sung at the very beginning of the service. Because we are acknowledging that when we come together, God himself is present. God is present in the word. God is present in the bread and in the wine. His very body is in the bread. His very blood is in the wine. God himself was present in the waters of baptism. God himself is present in every single one of you. For when you were baptized, you were clothed with Christ. Yes, God is present in the world. He's present everywhere we go. There's definitely a truth to that, and, it, and if we think about that, it might think, make us think about how we act. But when we gather together for the divine service, he is present in a way that he isn't anywhere else in our world. How many other places during the week, with the exception of maybe a Bible class, do you gather with the express intent of worshiping God with other believers. Does that happen anywhere else? Probably not very often. God is present in this place in a way that we, that he is nowhere else. 
why gathering for the divine service is such a special opportunity. Every time you get it. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, this last week, these last three days, was the LWML District Convention. And Thursday night, was I kind of found it a little special. And the reason is, is because as a pastor, I get to go to, at best, one worship service every year where I'm not conducting it. It was kind of, I, I volunteered to help, but they said, no, we're good. And I can't tell, I can tell you it is such an awesome feeling to go to a worship, go to the divine service and no one expecting you to do anything except for just participate. I got to hear a, a pastor preach to me. I got I to gotta belt out those hymns and sing them without thinking, oh boy, what do I have to do right after I get done singing this? I got to sing the communion hymns. I never get to sing those. Because it would be a little awkward having a hymnal and, a, and the bread in one hand, both hands. So it was actually a really nice and refreshing night. Now hopefully, but however, and by the way, some awesome hymns. I don't know if for you ladies that went, did you notice there's some hymns I've been working on teaching you that was in there? Say, you got advantage from that. It, pay, it pays off. But anyways. Now, hope, but one thing that stood out, was also kind of stood out during that evening. Hopefully no one else noticed this but me. But there was a few ladies right in front of me that throughout the service would not stop talking. They just kept not during when they had communion, not during the sermon, not during any of the hymns, and when they would sing, they'd have their elbows up just really bored and with what was going on. And I was, I think, and there was another pastor really close to me. I think both of us were very, very, very tempted to say something. And I was very tempted to just kind of go in and whisper and say, is God not worthy of your time? And the thing is, the thing is, we so easily come up with ways to distract ourselves during the divine service. We think, oh, I do this every week. It's not that big of a deal. You know, it's a routine thing. And the problem is, is that when we think that way, we have completely forgotten why we are here. We have completely forgotten who we are in relationship to God. The reality is in relationship to God is that we are like maggots. We are nothing. We don't deserve to be in his presence. If we stood, if we stood before God with our sinful nature, we, what we deserve is God to say, get out of here, I don't want your words of worship. You're not worthy to even sing my name. That's actually, there are many that actually believe that we're not worthy of saying God's name ever. In the time of Jesus, that was one of the teachings of the Pharisees that you could never, ever say God's name. That's why they don't say Yahweh in Jewish, in Jewish temples or synagogues. It's because they believe the name is so holy that you are not worthy to speak it. So whenever you get to the word Yahweh, they'll say, Lord. They'll say, Adonai, instead. They cannot even... It, and so, 
This is how we are before God in our sinful nature. And yet, by God's grace, by his grace poured on us by the blood of Jesus, he welcomes us every single Sunday. Or Wednesday if it's during Advent or during, during Lent, it's even more than that. He allows us to come before him, to lift up his name in praise. He allows us the honor of hearing his message. And we come not as slaves. We do not come as servants. We do not come as ones to be punished. We come as ones who are redeemed. We come as his children. His beloved children. That is our relationship to God every single Sunday. If you've ever been to a Roman Catholic church, which I'm sure many of you have, if you've gone to a really old one, have you ever seen what they do before they go into the pew? They get down on one knee and bow. That's known, the word is genuflecting. There are some Lutherans that actually make a full practice of genuflecting. And I know some pastors that genuflect throughout the service. And I would do it except for I have bad knees and that's why I don't do it. But if you don't genuflect, a good alternative is just to bow at the waist. That's what we do when we come to the altar. When we had vacation Bible school at May City, especially, we did a lot of the, te whenever I was teaching the kids, we did it in the chancel area. But I instructed the kids that every time before they came to the chancel to stop and bow. And when they left to go down to eat, which they were in a hurry to do, I told them to bow before they left. Because we are in the presence of the King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods, and he is worthy of our honor. We are not actually worthy to honor him, but he makes us worthy. He gives us worth. For us to reverence him, to revere him above everything in this world. Because what he is, and not only because of what he, who he is, but what he has done. Did you look at that, that colic that we heard earlier? It says, pour into our hearts such love toward you that we loving you above all things may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire. Our God gives us not just the bare necessities. I realized that just all of a sudden I was hearing the Jungle Book song. He doesn't give us just the bare necessities. He gives us more than you could ever desire. No, he doesn't give you more than you need. He gives you more than you desire. I think of, uh, if any of you, this little Star Wars reference, I think of there's this Han Solo, when he's going to, he's with, in the very first Star Wars movie, he's going to help rescue the princess, 
and Princess Leia. And uh, Luke says to him, he's like, she, he says, you got to help her. It's like, why? And he eventually says, well, she's rich. How rich? Well, more than you can imagine. I don't know, I can imagine a lot. We can, pro- many of you probably can, imagine a lot. Guess what? God has, is going to give you even more than you can imagine. This is why we honor him. This is why we give him our time. Because he gave us 33 years on this earth, at least, plus nine months in the womb. How many of you were fully aware of your time in the womb? Anybody remember that time? Remember what it looked like or anything? I don't. But I'd imagine that God knew who Jesus, Jesus being God, knew what was going on. He was aware of every moment up to his death. He gave that for you. It is our duty, our honor, and our blessing to be able to give him our time, to give him our reverence, Because we are his children and we are citizens of his kingdom, which has no end. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith and to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand to create in me a clean heart.